millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Tuesday morning, the 17th of January. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Housing is unaffordable for many. Rents are at a record high, while a record 11,500 people are homeless. Hospitals are overrun with this year's trolley crisis, breaking all records and the annual winter overcrowding, possibly running into March or April. If primary care is part of the solution, 800 and 80 million euro a year is needed to fund free GP care and that's if you can get a doctor to see you in the first place. Meanwhile finding accommodation for immigrants is not going to get any easier as numbers grow and hotels plan to return to tourism which in itself will leave up to 14,000 people needing a roof over their heads and what can be done to protect these people from far right wing fascist racist groups stirring up hatred and the protests that have shocked most of us over the last few weeks the doll resumes tomorrow and there is a busy term ahead with many challenges competing for government prioritisation add to that a review of abortion legislation implementing the climate action plan and two possible referendums and you're only warming up because standards in public office following the resignation of Damien English and Pascal Donoghue's apology for not declaring a political donation will probably dominate the agenda this week as politicians return to Leinster House. Let's begin today with uh, the leader of the Labour Party, Ivana Bakic, TD, who's on the line. And uh, a very good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us. Uh, There's no shortage of business ahead this week and in the coming weeks. Where are your priorities going to be? Well, good morning, Michael, and thank you very much for inviting me on and Happy New Year to your listeners, if it's not too late in January to, to say that. Uh, yes, it's going to be a very busy doll term ahead, as you've said, uh, and indeed, of course, uh, uh, you know, a, a rotated Taoiseach as well. Uh, but certainly the 
I think, a key set of questions this week about uh, standards in public office, about ethical reforms, which are clearly necessary and indeed which we in Labour have been calling for for many years now. Uh, We'll also see, as you said, a real emphasis over the year ahead on climate, on climate measures, on necessary actions that we'll need to meet our vitally important emission reductions targets. We'll see an emphasis on health after the scandal of overcrowding, overcrowding in our hospitals over the past winter. And of course, housing is going to remain a huge issue, as we see, as you've said just there, you know, record numbers of people homeless, including over three and a half thousand children on the homeless list, which is really shocking in 2023. Uh, but we, we will also have quite a number of other issues. You've pointed out that there may well be referendums. I'm very much hopeful that we'll see a referendum later this year on uh, on equality. Um, I chaired the Gender Equality Committee last year and we recommended wording for a referendum to delete sexist language about women from the Constitution and to insert a very positive uh, pro- proposal in the Constitution to value and recognise care and caring roles. Uh, and I think that's going to be a very important referendum. Mm. D- and indeed, d- delete and replace, isn't it? Uh, I mean, you're talking about the role of women exactly. in the home being uh, valued exactly. by the state, but to replace that so that it would reflect the state's value for people who are caring in the home. And all of our valuing for those who are carrying out such vital work and caring and indeed also to support those who are being cared for. And among our other recommendations was a, you know, that we would see a, a widening of the definition of family beyond the family based on marriage to encompass a much more inclusive view of families. And I think that's also really important. So we have, as you said, a, a very wide range of issues to deal with <coughs> excuse me, over the year ahead. But certainly, you know, in, in just in recent days, we've seen that focus on the need for ethical reforms. And my colleague, Deputy Jed Nash, our Laos uh, TD, uh, has been very uh, vocal in, in recent days on the need to, to and the need for the government really to step up and adopt Labour's proposed reform of the standards in public office legislation. We put forward legislation back in 2015, which the you know over the ensuing two government terms since we've seen no government, nobody in Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael picking it up, and that would give SIPO additional powers that they indeed have been calling for. That's the standards in public office commission, in, including the power to investigate without the need for a complaint and I think that's the sort of strengthening that we do need to see to ensure high standards in, pu- in public life and you know certainly mm. I think Minister Pascal Dunne who has questions still to answer about the recent uh, revelations over the weekend. Do you think Damien English also has questions uh, to answer since his resignation last Thursday I think it was and we haven't heard from uh, the former Minister since then uh, but uh, it seems as though there hasn't been a, a full explanation to what happened to him wrongly uh, filling out uh, this application for planning. Yes, indeed. There are questions, still questions there. And, uh, you know, he clearly did the right thing. Damien English did the right thing, I think, by resigning immediately. But there are still questions there. And we have called, we have asked for uh, that, for some of those issues to be clarified. Uh, but certainly with Minister Pascal Donoghue and the more recent, uh, the more recent issues around disclosures of election expenses, there's still very significant questions to be answered there. We don't know, for example, how many posters would have been put mm-hmm. up, what was the commercial value of the so-called donation of services. All of these issues, I think, should be highlighted and aired in the doll now that we're resuming uh, this week. And I think that would be a very important thing that I imagine across the opposition would be calling for. But certainly in Labour, we have a very strong record of putting forward uh, strong, strong ethical legislation and, uh, and we need to see that picked up now by the government. It's most unfortunate, I suppose, that Minister Dunne, who is the minister who would, who would normally have responsibility for ethical legislation. You know, I think he's right to say he's going to have to stand back from that. But we need to see the Taoiseach taking this up now and driving forward the necessary reforms. Uh, and is Damien's, Damien English's position as a, a TD 
uh, an issue for the leader of Fine Gael, for the Taoiseach? Well, we've asked uh, already for clarity from the Taoiseach about the the role now for, for former Minister De- now Deputy English. Uh, we've asked for that clarity. And we, again, we still haven't heard from either the Taoiseach or mm. Damien English about that. So I think, we, again, those, those will be questions that will be asked. But it, it, it seems as though Damien English lied filling out that form, doesn't it? Well, as I say, we would like to hear more detail, I think, about the context in which the form was filled out. It's certainly very concerning, the, uh, the, uh, uh, you know, the reports that we've seen. But we do need, I think, to, to tease this out in the doll in a debate. And that's what we haven't had uh, to date. Of course, we haven't had the opportunity to do that to date. Uh, but let's hope we can do that this week. OK. And um, when it comes to Pascal Donoghue, he would have uh, breached uh, the threshold uh, in terms of payments that need to be declared with a relatively small amount of money. Um, why uh, do you think uh, there's so much interest in this? Well, there is interest precisely because we're not, we haven't yet been told exactly uh, the nature of the services rendered. We're told there were six men were provided to put up posters. Uh, we don't know how many posters. We don't know the commercial value of the donation of services. What we do know is that this was a highly unusual arrangement. Effectively, a private individual or, or perhaps a company, and again, we're not sure. Uh, we've been told a mixture of a corporate and a personal donation. But, you know, to see a, a person, another person, uh, or, or indeed a company, picking up the tab for putting up posters of a candidate and then to be told that some of the uh, services rendered were to a constituency organisation rather than to an individual. So there's a lot mm. of, of obscurity now and a lot of sort of willful obscurity around the detail of this. And I think we need to hear clearly you know, where the failures of compliance lay. Certainly the election expenses, there was, you know, failed to disclose, it appears, uh, the nature of this donation. And there was also a delay then. And it's indeed very difficult to believe that uh, a candidate would not know uh, that, 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 you know, these, these services mm. were donated back in 2016 when they were. And even when, you know, according to Minister Donoghue, he did not become aware until later, at least that's mm. apparently the case. But again, there's a time lag. When he became aware, why didn't he then amend the statement, amend the disclosure of, of uh, donations? And indeed, did the, the additional spending then breach electoral spending limits? He says it didn't. But again, we need a full statement from the doll and we need to be able to question this. And again, to say, you know, in Labour, we have put forward a public sector standards bill. It's now nearly eight years old and we do need to see that brought forward by the government. And we need to see the Taoiseach taking this on if Minister Donoghue himself is, re- is being recused from this. And we do know that a, a businessman paid the bill, the cost of these six workers uh, putting up posters and taking them down, as well as the van that was used for it. Uh, And we also know that the same businessman, Michael Stone, was appointed to to the board of the Land Development Agency. Uh, Have you questions about that appointment? Well, we've, we want, we've questions, first of all, about the nature of the donation, as I say, because we don't know if the, the men putting up, and we're told there were six men, we don't know if the men putting up posters were on the payroll of a company, in, in which case it would become a corporate donation, in which case even if we took the relatively low figure we've been given for the value of the service, that would breach the limit on corporate donations, because of course in an election a candidate can only take up to €200 Euro from a company, and we're told there was 
<coughs> excuse me, uh, nearly a thousand euros worth of services given by those individuals in putting up the posters. Now, there's a dispute about how much that figure, uh, you know, whether or not that actually does reflect commercial value. Certainly, I think, you know, we would expect to pay about five or seven euro per poster to put up a, and take down a poster. So, you know, there's a lot of questions, in other words, about the value of that donation, about whether or not it was indeed made by a person or whether it was in fact made by a company with the men putting up the posters on the payroll of a company. So there's quite a number of questions there about the nature of the donation, about uh, Minister Donoghue's knowledge of that, uh, and indeed then, as you say, about the uh, subsequent appointments. Uh, the review into the laws that make abortion available in this country is to conclude and Barrister Marie O'Shea will make her recommendations to government. I take it you'll be hoping that abortion will be more easily available, readily available to people in this country. Well, certainly we in Labour made a submission to the review and uh, we have sought to see any unnecessary restrictions being removed. So we know that for many doctors, most doctors are saying that the three-day waiting period, the three-day um, I suppose, delay between the first consultation and the second for a woman seeking an early termination of pregnancy, that that is an unnecessary requirement, that there's no medical justification for that. Indeed, that makes that places an, a, a very heavy burden on, on many women. Uh, and so, you know, that's the sort of thing I think that could be sensibly looked at and that we've called for a change on to to ensure that that restriction is lifted. We've also called for legislation to protect those who are seeking uh, termination of pregnancy from the sort of intimidatory obstruction that we've seen being carried out by some, you know, small number of individuals and, you know, that's the, the safe zone legislation as it's called. So we've also called for that. And indeed we've called for a review of some of the definitions in the legislation to make sure that they're more workable and to make sure that, you know, the, the legislation will meet the real needs of women. I mean, we saw in the 2018 referendum campaign such an outpouring of compassion, of empathy with women faced with really difficult, really heartbreaking decisions. Women who faced with, you know, with uh, diagnosis of fatal fetal an- um, anomalies, for example. And, you know, we want to ensure that, that women who need terminations of pregnancy are able to access that med- vital medical service here in Ireland. We know that, you know, quite mm. a number of women are still travelling to England every year because they're not being covered by the current legislation. So we, so I'm glad to see uh, that Marie O'Shea, the, uh, the barrister who's been appointed to conduct the review, that she's taking time to look at the reality of medical practice and the needs of women. And indeed, I understand she's awaiting a final research uh, study from Trinity about uh, conscientious objection and how that is operating in practice before she makes a review. But I'm very hopeful we'll see that review come forward and that we we'll see some sensible proposals for reform to ensure that women can access the medical services that are so badly needed. Okay. But, you know, certainly there's, I think, huge public support for that. And we saw that in 2018 with the repeal referendum and something I'd been campaigning for, Michael, all my Mm. own adult Mm. life, having been threatened with prison back in the late 80s for providing women in crisis pregnancy with with information about about how to access abortion in England. You know, that that was something that was both very formative for me. So it's something that personally I'm very, uh, I've been very involved in and I'm glad to make a submission to the review and indeed glad that Labour has taken such a leading role on uh, women's reproductive rights over so many years and, you know, we really have have uh, made a very transformative impact, I think, on the campaign for uh, for rights for women and women's health in Ireland. And you know, we want such wonderful women uh, as our representatives in Louth and Mead. I'm thinking of our mayor, Mayor of Drogheda, Michelle Hall, of course, who will mm. be well known to your listeners. And then our councillor Elaine McGinty in Mead East, and and with some wonderful new candidates coming forward too. You know, in Eilish Balfe in Mead. 
um, you know, and and of course our councillors, P.O. Smith and Fiacre McRinal in Loud. So, you know, we really are very uh, fortunate to have such strong women and indeed men as local representatives around the country to, to uh, and to be, who'll be pushing, driving forward Labour's agenda and Labour's equality message and our constructive message of change that, you know, I've been very proud to lead on for the last year, well, not even a year mm. since I've uh, become leader. So, you know, great local reps and uh, certainly... You know, my priority this year is to really ensure that we uh, we we grow and build the party further, and that we that we attract more uh, candidates to come forward. And I've been really heartened in recent months travelling around the country as to how many new candidates are coming forward, how many members are joining, and uh, you know, and I think we'll have a very strong slate of candidates to put forward in the locals in 20, local elections in 2024 in Live and as well as everywhere. I'm sure. <laughs> well done. <laughs> well done. That was that was very astute. Um, Speaking of one of your councillors, as I think you did, (laughs) uh, Michelle Hall, uh, let me back up first of all, because you were talking about the safe zones outside of uh, abortion centres and so on. Uh, There's been calls uh, to introduce similar safe zones or exclusion zones 100 metres outside of uh, places that are providing accommodation uh, to people seeking international protection in this country so that we don't see that uh, type of intimidation. Uh, Michelle Hall had a, a motion before Louth County Council as I'm sure yesterday uh, and got support from uh, every councillor uh, on uh, Louth County Council um, to welcome refugees and people who seek asylum in a zero tolerance approach for misinformation and intimidation. Uh, talk to me about this idea of uh, intimidation uh, which is the upshot and it's the only uh, thing that comes out of these protests uh, when people are standing outside a place that somebody calls their home uh, and asking them to go back to wherever it is uh, they came from. Would you support the idea of exclusion zones like that? Yes, I do think they're a sensible idea. But first of all, just to commend Michelle Hall, Mayor Hall, for her brilliant work in putting forward that loud for all motion that you've mentioned. I thought the very powerful photographs of all the councillors standing in unity with mm. the signs saying loud for all to show their support for uh, for those who come here seeking refuge and to show their opposition to those sort of awful and intimidatory, not protests, but really nasty events where we've seen people, you know, shouting abuse, at, uh, in some cases, families and children who are, as you say, in, in homes here, in, in centres here that are their homes. So I think that's, that was a really powerful uh, initiative from uh, from Michelle Hall and I'm really proud that she's done that. We, I had written last week to all opposition leaders to ask that we would have a cross-party agreement uh, on zero tolerance for the sort of intimidation uh, and anti-refugee feeling that unfortunately has surfaced in, among a very small number of people uh, but in these nasty events outside uh, refugee homes in recent weeks. So, you know, I'm calling for that zero yeah. tolerance to be adopted by all uh, opposition leaders and indeed I want the, to see the government stepping up here with a, the sort of public information campaign we saw rolled out during COVID really to to counter the sort of disinformation and myths that are being spread and that are being mm. used by a small number of far-right activists to whip up uh, to whip up really a hatred, really unpleasant okay. uh, anti-refugee views. So I think Michelle's mm. initiative has been superb in really showing that there's, that there's such solidarity across parties, across 
across communities across the country. Uh, such solidarity with those who have come here seeking refuge from Ukraine and elsewhere, and uh, and to show that you know that there is a unity of front on that one. I think that's been a really powerful message, and I know our other councillors and local area reps will be mm-hmm. taking that up around the country. Okay, take this thought with you as uh, the leader of uh, the Labour Party as uh, we conclude our conversation before the beginning of uh, the new tall term, uh, and a suggestion that came from one of our listeners uh, that has been commented on by many people as a very, very good proposal, which is that when people are brought in, whether it's 50 men or uh, 100 uh, people made up of families into an area that a meet and greet is organised to take out the mystery of who these new neighbours are and that when people get to see each other, meet each other and talk to each other, uh, it takes away a lot of uh, the fear uh, that... uh, comes about just because uh, nobody knows anything about these people and false information is spread about. Uh, As I say, that was a suggestion that came from one of our listeners uh, that uh, perhaps... uh uh, you may find interesting or not, Ivana Beckwich. I think that's a wonderful suggestion. I think that it's a really great idea that that would be formalised. I do know from communities all around uh, my own area, but everywhere around the country, that there are already so many local groups that have stepped up that have organised that sort of very positive meet and greet. Uh, but I do agree, you know, all support should be given to local groups, to residents, to uh, uh, local welcome campaigns to ensure that there is a, that there is a facility there for a meet and greet. I think it's really important as you say as soon as your listener says you know once you have established that sort of you know personal connection with individuals I think that's a really strong way to build community solidarity and I know all our local reps will be taking that suggestion forward I should have given a shout out of course to Tracy McElhenney in Mead West as well when I was talking about our other campus oh, there must be somebody in Cork you could mention seriously our strength in labour is our mm. grassroots network our huge uh, network of councillors of local area reps around the country and you know that's it's okay. been such a powerful experience for me meeting the, meeting so many. I look forward to my visit very soon to Drogheda. Okay. We'll be up uh, in the next few weeks and okay. uh, be canvassing with all those reps that I've mentioned. Okay, course. we look forward to that. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, that is uh, the leader of uh, the Labour Party, Ivana Bakic. Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, apparently, uh, three in ten or thirty percent of uh, the population are struggling to make ends meet. That's according to the Win World Survey, which has been published this week, and it's very interesting to contrast that to a study that has uh, been highlighted by Oxfam. Ireland, uh, which shows that people in this country who have wealth of over 46.6 million euro have uh, increased their wealth. Indeed, there's more than double the amount of people uh, who are worth uh, that uh, amount of money over the last decade. Jim Clarkin, CEO of Oxfam Ireland, is on the line. A very good morning to you, Jim, and thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme. Uh, £31 has gone to the richest 1% of the country out of £93 that was created in the last 10 years and just... uh, 50 cents, less than 50 cents at the bottom, 50%. Uh, the rich, you say, are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. Good morning, Michael. Quite remarkable stuff. Thanks very much for having me on your show again. Um, yeah, it is It is remarkable. And we've been tracking this growing inequality for the last few years. And we've, we've had a conversation here before about it. And, and what's different this year is for the first time in 25 years, extreme wealth 
and extreme poverty have increased simultaneously. I know the, the adage is the, the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer, but in this case, that's actually happening. In the past, sometimes the rich have gotten super rich and the poorest people have gotten marginally less poor, if you know what I mean. But mm. this is actually going in the opposite direction. And it's gotten to staggering uh, numbers. I mean, they're, they're kind of mind-boggling, really. Uh, and it's, it's a case of this, you know, this wealth si- being siphoned up to the very, very top of society. Um, and it's, it's, it's not benefiting economies and it's not benefiting society. And it's, you know, we, we, we just see that it's causing this huge impact on the poorest people in the world. And when you look across the world, uh, extreme poverty, which we've been fighting for many, many years, and there's a global ambition to eliminate extreme poverty, which, which is a very low bar, by the way, by 2030. And the World Bank tell us now that that's very, very unlikely to happen and that it's, it's the worst uh, gap in inequality since World War II. So we're, we're, we're looking at, you know, very, very staggering figures. We've seen even in the last couple of years that the world has created $42 trillion of new wealth this is across the world. And two thirds of that has gone to this uber wealthy class. So, I mean, and the numbers are staggering. But in reality, it means that, you know, ordinary people whose wages have either been stagnant or who have just had marginal increases that haven't kept up with inflation, they're, they're actually less well off than they were last year, the year before. And yet these other people are, are getting this huge amount of additional wealth. You call it the survival of the richest. Uh, 1% gaining 70 times more wealth than the bottom 50%. That's it, yeah. And, and, it, and it continues to be that way. And, and we look, we, we see that it's, it's, it's causing massive damage to society. And it's, it's uh, you know, it's, it certainly busts the myth that all, you know, there's the boat will lift all, the tide will lift all boats or whatever the expression is and, and that, you know, that there's a such thing as this trickle-down wealth where wealth is created at one end it'll find its way to other. That just doesn't happen and we know that that's, that, that's nonsense. So what we're suggesting is that, um, and it's not just Oxfam, you have the OECD, you have the World Bank, the IMF and others, the World Economic Forum are discussing it this week in Davos, but are coming to the conclusion that we need to have a specific wealth tax, a tax for those extremely wealthy people. You talk about even in Ireland people, the number of people who have, and it, the reason the, 50, the 46.6, the reason it's in euro, it's in euro like that, it's, it's, a, it's a dollar um, kind of a mm. study across mm-hmm. the world. So it's $50 million. So that kind of level of wealth, you know, nearly 1,500 people, that's a lot of people. Uh, and, you know, it's only right that they, because they, they, don't, they don't have to pay income tax in the way that, they, that a lot of us do and they, the rest of us do, or they don't, you know, they don't have the same, VAT doesn't have the same impact on them as it does on people who have to spend all of their money on consuming products and services, you know, just to keep mm. going, just to keep the roof on the head and the rent paid and all those things. Um, then, then, you know, that, that there should be a tax, you know, that, that's mm. levied on them specifically, which could then be invested. Even in Ireland alone, we estimate that a very modest tax um, over stagger, stagger tax between the people who have above 5 million, above 50 million and those few billionaires, you know, that if we had a very modest tax there, it would be enough to generate 8.2 billion euros. It's mm. a lot of money. We could do an awful lot with that in terms of housing, in terms of healthcare, you know, education, you know, our climate commitments, our commitments internationally, and lifting the bar, helping people here with the cost of living crisis. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot that could be done. We need to see the political will to do it. Certainly there's a growing 
um, momentum on this across the world and we need to talk about it here in Ireland too. You could probably build five or six hospitals with 8.2 billion euro. It is an awful lot of money and you're talking about that amount of money every year if you were to tax people uh, on a threshold of 4.7 million euro. But it's not just that the richer are getting richer. More people are getting rich uh, with 655 people a decade ago worth over 46 million euro. That's increased, as you say, to nearly 1,500 people, 1,435. Uh, but the poor getting poorer. Uh, why is that the case? Well, if you think about it, over the last couple of years, the, the pandemic has hit, hit everybody, it's hit us all, and it has affected our, uh, you know, it's affected incomes. Uh, there's a, a dramatic increase in the cost of living. So, you know, energy prices, food prices, uh, basic the prices of rents and 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 cost mm. of housing and so on has gone up dramatically uh, for ordinary people. Uh, so uh, so our our costs have all gone up. But these, you know, a lot of the people who have this kind of wealth, it's they have it because they own things, because they own property, because they own shares in companies like the big food companies that have made you know mm. massive profits over this period and the pharmaceutical companies, companies energy companies and pharma, so on exactly yeah. pharma yeah. and energy yeah. and th- those people you know all they have to do is sit there they don't they're not they're not clever or they're not you know working harder than anybody yeah. else they have this wealth and it accumulates additional wealth and you know if you think about it the 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 pandemic bonuses the pandemic uh, pr- uh, super profits that were made by some of these companies they were made on the back of nothing that the companies did extraordinarily differently. They just were, you know, they just happened to have a kind of the kind of company that benefited from that. Mm. But in actual fact, society or taxpayers paid a lot of money into pharma companies, into other parts of, of the economy that helped those companies. And it's only right and proper that, that some of that is clawed back because it, it ultimately was paid for by us. It was paid for by society. It should be clawed back in some form of taxation. We're, there are a number of countries around the world that are looking at windfall taxes on these super profits, you know, because they're exceptional times and they're exceptional items. And that's that's a very reasonable and it's, it's not unprecedented. That's been done in the past. And then others are looking at, have already introduced wealth taxes. They've introduced them in Spain, in Argentina, a lot of Latin American countries. And it's been, it's a discussion that's going on uh, across the globe. And it's, you know, there is this kind of, you know, misbelief that that somehow this will lead to this big flight of capital that everybody, all the wealthy people will disappear and the whole thing will collapse. I mean, that's not just not the case. Well, there's a, a lot of capital. We used to talk about millionaires. Now we're talking about multi-millionaires and we're talking about billionaires, eight billionaires in this country, isn't it? And the richest person in Ireland worth 15 billion, is it? Yeah, well, between the two, the two wealthiest people have 15 billion and they own more than the 50% of the poorest part of the population. It's, it's staggering when you think about it. Two mm. people can own as much as, you know, half of the population. Um, and, you know, and this, this isn't a, a critique on people who are successful and who are, you know, who have brilliant ideas and innovate and come up with great things. We always need people like that. But, but the point is that nobody needs to accumulate that level of wealth. You couldn't spend it in multiple uh, lifetimes. Mm. It just sits there. It continues to accumulate. It doesn't add, actually, economic value it doesn't add societal value. So it's only right that some part of that is redistributed. 
and it can make a massive difference to the lives of everybody else. Well, plenty of money in this country, I think, is uh, but easy, straightforward way of putting it uh, for people uh, who don't have much uh, to get to the end of the week. Jim, we leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme today. Jim Clark and CEO of Oxfam Ireland. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now to a public order incident at T. Riley's Day Today store on Market Square in Navan. Let's speak uh, to local Fianna Fáil councillor Tommy Riley, who's on the line. Good morning, Tommy. Thanks uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. Good Talk morning, us. Michael, and a very happy new year to you and your family. Uh, and to you, one. Tommy, and a very healthy one to you as well. And thank you indeed. Uh, talk us through what happened at the shop, if you would, please. Uh, on Sunday night, um, round, round, round nine o'clock, there was these. There was this gang, three or four or five of them, Rev was in it on the streets. Now they were on the streets all evening from six o'clock onwards, raiding up and down and causing trouble in a few different places. But um, they came into the shop where, where this guy was working. These two two men entered the shop and shot in almost a hundred hours a week in between them and trying to make a few pounds to send it back to the loved ones in some of the poorest regions in the world. But uh, they went to put one of the mirrors up next to him, broke the window and he went outside and they came in and they grabbed him and kicked him and bet him up. And the, other, the other guy came to the scene, he was very lucky that a bottle just missed him. So, like... I, I don't know, Michael. I'm saddened by it in my town in Navan. Uh, I, I'm in business 40 years and I haven't seen the likes of this what's going on in the last while uh, ever. And I'd say ever. And mostly, mostly, Michael, it's the same gang of people that's going around the town doing this depredation and this damage. And like there was a, a, a lady who had, an old lady who had a street shop down the street for us and she's in her mid 80s. And she was robbed there over the Christmas or after Christmas. You know, 14 euro in a little tail in a little street shop, terrorised by the, some of the same people, I would say. And it has to stop. But, you know, the guards, we could do it with more guards. There's definitely need for more guards. But when the guards prepare a statement, the amount of work they have to bring to it to get a summons. And then when they do get them to court, they're out the door quicker than the guard. The judiciary, the judiciary is not doing its job as far as I'm concerned. There's people walking around with 200 convictions. The guys that assaulted my son two or three years back got 40 and 50 convictions. Mm. We need, I know, more prison spaces. There's no doubt in the world about that. But that's the only answer to this, to put them in prison. Mm. What's going on in, in my town, in other towns, but particularly now in Navan in recent times, it's just it's gone beyond belief that this can happen in your town. Yeah. Downright thuggery, uh, and there's no doubt about it. But was there more to it uh, on Sunday? Do you think, Tommy? Was it racially motivated? No, no, okay. definitely not. Definitely not. Definitely okay. not. No, 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 no. Definitely not. Uh, it wasn't. It was uh, some of the same gang that's around for the last twenty years causing trouble. Mm. Okay, uh, and you could pick them out any day of oh, the week. Could. I could. I could. Yeah. I could pick them out any day of the week. Like yeah. it's, 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 it's not right the way they're allowed to carry on in the town. Like, like <laughs> you know. <laughs> Our town, my town, everyone's town, that's born and bred in Navan. Like, I don't think people feel secure going down there any night on the week unless you're with somebody, like a lady or on her own would hardly walk down that street. You need someone with you. or you need. I wouldn't even be a bit shaken walking down there. And that's gone. That's desperate to have to say that about the town in Navan. Mm. That's really dreadful. It is. It is, Michael. Uh, like, I, I, I saw a meeting with the... With the 
Superintendent, Chief Superintendent, mm. after the last episode which I spoke to you about before Christmas, uh, fires being lit at outside premises, and, and uh, you know, I was told to wait for a JPC meeting. I'm still waiting for the JPC meeting, but I am now originally calling for a meeting with the superintendent and our town manager as well uh, of the council and wherever local area reps want to come to it. But uh, it has to be it has to be looked at seriously because we can't go on the way we're going on with this. And is it that the guards are just throwing their hands up and saying uh, there's no point in following this up because of the bureaucracy that's involved? Well, the bureaucracy, I say, is really. I mean. You can do so much as a guard or whoever mm. and any line of business or any walk of life, but when you keep getting a slash back in your face, it's very hard to keep going. And the guards did come and arrest one of them on Sunday night, and fairness to them. Mm. But they were on the street for three hours, like up and down the street. Right. And, and this is a regular, regular basis. They're going through the churchyard there. They're, they're marauding all around the place, and, and they have to be stopped. There has to be a curfew put on them, I think. Curfew. That's mm. the way to stop these guys. And mm. then jail. Jail is the only answer. Right. Okay, very serious uh, when uh, you put it uh, the way you did about people being afraid to walk uh, the streets. Uh, that's beyond yeah. comprehension and beyond... It is beyond uh, comprehension. Yeah, yeah. All right. Tommy, always good to talk to you. Thanks in, indeed Michael, thank uh, you. for joining thank us. Thank you for the work you do on the radio. Thank you so much for your Maggie. Thank you. Thanks a million, Fianna Fáil Councillor Tommy Riley there. Now, let me bring you some of uh, the comments coming uh, to us this morning. Um, we Somebody in touch about, about their electricity bill. Uh, €335 for 798 kilowatts, just 10 units more than our bill for August, which was €235 instead of €335. Those extra units costing €397 has come to €100 more. Our average bill over 21 was under €200. 2020, an average of 160 both years with more energy usage uh, and our caller says um, we've used energy over the last 12 months uh, 100 units bi-monthly to the previous year and it's costing more Wow. Yeah. Well, I think a, a lot of people will understand that. Uh, somebody else in touch with us about those uh, thugs in Navin saying stop their dole. That would uh, put an end to it. Thank you indeed if you have been in touch with us today. If you'd like to make comment, our telephone number is 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Now, as you've been hearing on LMFM's news, a 60-year-old man with an address in Drogheda has pleaded guilty to being the tenant in charge of a premises and knowingly permitting that premises uh, to be used as a, a brothel. Sammy Hoy uh, had uh, pleaded guilty to this offence at Chapel Street in Dundalk, but the brothel came to the attention of Gardaí from a neighbour, a woman who had noticed suspicious activity and uh, as a result of calls to her door that were answered by her granddaughter and her great granddaughter uh, who uh, were greeted by men who were looking for the brothel. Let's uh, speak to Danielle McLaughlin who's uh, the Policy and Communications Officer with Ruwama which is a 
an organisation that works with uh, people in the sex industry and tries uh, to help them to leave uh, that trade. Danielle, a very good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. Uh, I think it's uh, clear that there was a a lot of activity uh, around this house and I'm sure uh, you welcome the fact that somebody reported that activity to the Gardaí. Absolutely. It's very good news to hear that people are actively um, alerting the guards to this um, type of criminal activity, which, you know, it is illegal. Um, and um, the the act of, of um, letting or, or owning property and allowing it to be used as a brothel is illegal in Ireland. Um, and indeed, the purchase of sex, so um, individuals who are, who are online um, and read purchasing sex from individuals who are associated with this brothel is also illegal. So, I mean, the individual who alerted the guards has done much more than just alerted the guards of a crime. They've also probably um, contributed to saving the life of women who are possibly trafficked um, and have been held against their will, have been threatened, of course, um, possibly you know, in 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 uh, situations of abuse, um, and we know that um, the, it, it's formally recognised now that prostitution is a, is it rec- formally recognised as a form of gender-based violence. Um, it's illegal to purchase sex because it is now officially recognised that it is a, it is an abuse of power, um, and that women are now treated as victims. So. You know, the, mm. the, this goes a long way to, to working towards um, the Guard's efforts um, and our national effort to tackle tra- tackle tra- trafficking and also the demand for prostitution and the demand for se- commercial sexual exploitation of women in Ireland. Um, we know that the circuit court in Dundalk was told that a, a man was stopped leaving this brothel on Chapel Street uh, and he told the Gardaí uh, that... He went there after making contact through a website uh, because uh, he, he wanted to buy sex, obviously. Uh, so that in itself was an offence. It is. And since 2017, you know, Ireland has applied the equality model, which um, originated in Sweden and exists in several other EU countries and is progressively um, moving towards EU-wide um, regulation around it. And we're working to support that. Um, it, it, it shows that um, where the criminalisation of the purchase of sex and the protection of victims in it, so the women who, who are, are decriminalised, no longer illegal for them to sell sex, um, it, this, this model is working. It's tackling demand, it's tackling um, trafficking, and there are quite serious, um, there's, there's heavy... Um, uh, consequences um, mm-hmm. and there are life. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. You know, up to life imprisonment for trafficking. Um, so it's taken very seriously in Ireland. Um, and uh, although it may it may be hidden, it is actually all over the country. There are brothels all over the country. Um, it is it is quite common, um, and it exists because women are being uh, threatened and coerced, um, and being. Um, you know, taken advantage of people who are in particular vulnerable situations, um, and then you know there's 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 stress and there's um, death and there's all sorts of kind of abuse and coercion going on. So it is it is the the, the purpose of this change in the law is to tackle that um, to offer women support. Mm. Um, and we're saying women because it's majority women. There are some men involved in the trade, but it's particularly women here. Um, uh, ta- targeted um, in this trade and um, there's huge demand out there so it is quite shocking um, to, mm. to, to kind of actually know the, the prevalence of it across the country it's in every city, every town um, there are brothels with women being moved around the country every day Yeah, uh, As you say it's predominantly men who are buying sex from women it's illegal for men to buy the sex it's not illegal for women to offer sexual services uh, in return uh, for payment uh, to prostitute themselves, if you like. Uh, but it is illegal uh, to run a brothel, isn't it? Yes, and that's one of the reasons that that, um, that part of the legislation was introduced in order to tackle um, the, the players and so the traffickers, the pimps, the organised criminal elements. Um, it is, you know, after all, it's a multi-billion euro business. Um, it's a global industry. Um, it's not small gangs in Ireland um, based uh, who, who are Irish. It's gangs from all nationalities all over the world. Okay. And they're trafficking women from all different nationalities into Ireland. Okay. Uh, this woman uh, in Dundalk uh, reported her suspicions about uh, the use of uh, this neighbour's house uh, and it transpired that she was correct. It was a, a brothel uh, and uh, she said as well that the women who were working there uh, seemed to be coming and going with suitcases. Uh, they'd come by taxi. Girls would only stay in uh, the house for three weeks. Uh, they'd move on. Another group would move in. Is that fairly typical of the way a brothel would operate? It is. It's a, it is a fairly uh, standard operand, op- you know, for, for for traffickers, organisers, because it's a way to get around being detected. And um, it's a very mobile industry, and the women are being moved around the country to different apartments, hotels, massage parlours, um, and they're yes, like for example, you know, a number of days, number of weeks, and they're moved around again. 
Um, and this is to cater also for the, the buyers um, who are looking for new, younger, different women. Um, and they're operating through the internet and it's primarily off street. Um, and the the industry is, is quite highly reliant on the internet and mobile technology. It allows anonymity mm. and allows them invisibility and, 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 and um, avoids impunity. Um, so there are ways they're trying to get around and, and not be detected. And one of those ways is to move the women around every few weeks. And I, I take it it's also because the men, uh, because I imagine it's the same group of men who go to the brothel and uh, that the men are, are looking for different women after a few weeks, uh, that there'll be uh, a new escort, if you like. That's it. And I mean, mm. the track workers are aware of this and they know what the industry is. They know what the, the demands are, but they're also creating a demand by offering more women and different women um, but I mean, the signs are there for uh, members of the public to watch out for. Like mm. this, this, this neighbour did in Drogheda, um, that women be fully involved with suitcases, and men dropping in and out and visiting uh, an apartment or hotel mm. very regularly. And um, it, it can and can often indicate a sign of a brothel. Well, if there um, is that a, amount of uh, activity uh, around a house, it's obviously suspicious, isn't it? Uh, and. Uh, you'd imagine people would notice and would wonder and if uh, they have concerns that they'd pass those concerns on to the Gardaí. Absolutely. And I mean, they can do it anonymously if there's any fears of repercussions. Um, this is done quite regularly um, and often, you know, there are individuals or, or even organisations that might alert the guards to this as well. But the guards will act on it and they will, um, you know, investigate um, and they already do, um, you know, they do welfare checks in uh, suspected brothels to go in and check that the women are there of their own accord, that their their welfare is okay, um, and advise the women of support, uh, such as Rahama and the Women's Health Service, for example, to, to, uh, to reach out for help if they're in need of help. Um, but often they can't, and they're, they're under so much threat and coercion that they can't, and they're trapped. So, you know, it really is important that the guards are able to, to tackle the traffickers and the organisers. OK. Well, uh, perhaps uh, somebody listening uh, this morning uh, may think twice if there's that activity in their locality and will report it uh, because uh, your suspicion is uh, that there's always victims who are uh, attached to brothels. Absolutely. Okay, Danielle, thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. Danielle McLaughlin, Policy and Communications Officer with Ruwama. Now, let me go back uh, to some more of uh, the comments coming to us. Uh, Tony and Loud uh, texting us several times over uh, about immigrants coming to the country. Uh, one of the messages says, you must have been awfully disappointed that Tommy Riley didn't go down the racist route uh, with you about the events in Navin and you couldn't use your favourite word at the moment, fascists, which, by the way, is an insult to genuine residents who only want to keep their community safe. Uh, thanks, Tony. Uh, um, Tommy Riley had said uh, that the people working in the shop were sending uh, money home to some of uh, the darkest corners in the world, uh, which was why I asked if that was the case. Uh, and uh, I was very glad to hear that it wasn't, and he made it very clear that it wasn't. Uh, and uh, as to um, the description of people who are trying to stir up anti-immigrant sentiment in this country, um, uh, and the other messages uh, that you've sent, 
present to us. Uh, well, of course, there's all sorts of people in the world, in every corner of the world, whether they were born here or whether they were born in the Ukraine or whether they were born in Afghanistan or elsewhere. Uh, you've good, you've bad, you've all kinds of people. The vast majority of people who are coming here, Tony, are looking for international protection because they fled a terrible situation. Uh, and that's what we've been reporting. Uh, and of course, there are genuine people with genuine concerns. And I know that you did question uh, the idea of uh, having a meet and greet with those people. But I think if you meet and greet any set of people, you'll find that there's good and there's bad. There's genuine people. Some people uh, have uh, other things that you say about them. But generally speaking, you're talking about people who are looking for international protection uh, and a, a charitable welcome from people who understand that they're fleeing from terrible situations and uh, allow uh, the processes that are in place for uh, making decisions about whether these people in this stay in this country or otherwise uh, to proceed. Uh, I think that's probably the fairest thing you can do uh, for people. Uh, somebody else in touch with us, uh, it was Brendan Murr who got in touch with us yesterday, talking about somebody uh, who's on the internet um, giving out about asylum seekers. Um, one of these people who's calling Ireland a plantation or it's full. Ireland is full and Ireland for Irish for the Irish and all this stuff that's going on. Uh, but Brendan says uh, there's uh, questions about uh, the individual, uh, they seem to be running a business online uh, and they're charging uh, €75 Euro a pop uh, and no sign of any tax being paid. Is it being declared? Uh, is that legal? Uh, if uh, this person has concerns about people coming into the state, defrauding the system, uh, maybe they should look closer to home. It's an, an, an interesting comment Brandon makes. Uh, and I, I think uh, it's worth looking at all of uh, the people who uh, are, are giving out and uh, trying to be holier than thou, if you like, uh, because uh, some of them have uh, some very interesting closets uh, once you start to poke around and you'll find out uh, some very interesting things about people when it comes to being vetted and criminal records and all of that sort of stuff. Anyway, if you'd like to make comment on the programme today, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, as uh, you've been hearing, uh, Threshold has uh, published its uh, quarterly report looking at uh, how it has helped an awful lot of people between October and uh, December of last year. Let's speak to Anne-Marie O'Reilly, who's National Advocacy Manager with Threshold. And uh, a very good morning to you, Anne-Marie, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme uh, today. You'd over... 10,000 calls. You supported over 8,000 households. That's over 10,000 adults and nearly 7,000 children. And you prevented over 1,000 individuals and families from entering homelessness. A lot of uh, the eviction notices were not legal, apparently. Yes, so um, the primary reason that uh, renters are coming to us uh, at present is because they've received a termination notice from the landlord and we actually found that over half of those were invalid. Uh, so in those situations, an advisor is able to set out to the renter uh, what their rights are in that situation, uh, whether they have to comply with the notice or not. And also 
uh, inform them as to what they should expect if, if a landlord is going to terminate a notice because there's certain things that have to be included in that notice of termination to make it valid. Mm. And so in those situations, we're able to keep people in their homes. Or in their homes for uh, a time longer, uh, as would have been uh, the case with Seamus, uh, who mm. was illegally told. You give a, a number of personal stories in, in the report. This is a man in his 70s. Uh, he was told he had to go as soon as possible, uh, but he'll remain uh, in that accommodation until April or May, apparently. Yeah, so in that situation, Seamus had been renting the home for over 10 years and the landlord said, no, no, um, you, you need to move out now, I, I need the property. With, with no notice, with no, Seamus would have been entitled to a minimum notice period, um, I think off the top of my head, about eight months, to give him the time to find someone new, to give him the time to pack up his life, uh, you know, after so long on the property. So he got in touch with us, we said, no, that's not the case, the landlord has to give you the appropriate notice, which, which the landlord did do. Uh, so that gave Seamus the time to, to find somewhere new. And in the meantime, the moratorium on evictions came in. So it did give Seamus that bit more time. But, you know, it has been a challenge you know, for someone of that age in particular. They may not be the most attractive renter for a landlord to, to take on. Uh, so we're also assisting with him to liaise with the local authority in the hope that they may be able to provide something more secure for him. And uh, that moratorium is uh, to stay in place until March, isn't it? Uh, mm-hmm. That you can't be uh, evicted. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, what happens after that? Are you concerned that there'll be more people like Seamus who'll be looking for somewhere new to live uh, in April and May? So anyone who was meant to leave their home uh, between October and March while that moratorium was in place will have a, what's called a deferred termination date. And those are staggered between April and July. So it'll depend on each person's particular circumstances and if anyone's unsure of when they're supposed to leave, they can get in touch with Threshold because it's not a case that everyone is out on the 1st of April. But those people who know their tenancy is coming to an end, they will have been looking, they will have been searching for somewhere uh, during those few months, during that reprieve given to them by the eviction ban. But unfortunately, until more secure housing is made available, uh, you know, whether that's local authority, cost rental, uh, affordable purchase, or until the rental sector is more secure, we are going to see this problem continue. Uh, and even when you're leaving, you have rights uh, and rights mm-hmm. that Threshold can support with. Uh, you were helping a man named Carlos. You tell his story uh, in your report uh, and how his landlord had tried to hold on to half of his deposit. Mm-hmm. Yes, in that situation, um, he lived in the home for a while, got along fine there, no, no difficulties. Uh, left, um, you know, requested his deposit back, and the latter said, "No, no, you, you, you left the property. It was, it was, you know, it was, it was filthy, dirty, essentially, and there was loads of repairs to be made." And Carlos said that that's not correct. I, mm. I kept, I kept a, a good home, as most of us do, and so felt that was very unfair, and he was entitled to his money back. So in that scenario. We assisted uh, Carlos and it had to go to the RTB in the end for the uh, money, uh, Carlos's money, to be returned to him. And in addition to that, the adjudicator also ordered the landlord pay damages to Carlos for retaining his money. And so it's often forgotten that the deposit is, it is the renter's money unless they have done something to forfeit it as such. But, you know, within reason, 
And so in that situation, Carlos um, had his money returned to him. Okay, and I suppose it's understandable that people don't know all of their rights because there's been Mm -hmm. a lot of new legislation uh, and rents are regulated to some degree through rent pressure zones. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you've helped a a lot of people as well. Indeed, you highlight some of the cases in your report about where rent was increased above the regulated level. Mm. Yeah, so this is something we we do see... um, quite frequently actually so uh, in addition to people coming to us with notes of termination the second most common query is um, can my landlord put the rent up this much and uh, in about 75% of renters are in what's called a rent pressure zone which means their landlord can only increase the rent by a maximum of 2% once every 12 months and outside of that they can only increase it once every two years and again there are limits on how much it can be increased but We've seen, like the case of Fiona in the um, report, instances where people have received rent reviews, have been paying that rent, have been getting into severe financial difficulty, only to find out that increase was invalid. And they, they, didn't, they, they weren't meant to be paying that much rent. And in fact, the landlord owes them money. Um, so that we have had a number of cases like that. Unfortunately, those people came to us, the threshold advisors, they know their stuff. They look at the rent reviews, they, they, they trace them back and they help the person liaise with the landlord or in some cases go to the RTB to sort out the issue. Okay, and people come to you of all ages, all social mm-hmm. backgrounds, uh, uh, single people, uh, all kinds of families uh, and people on all sorts of different income levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's no uh, typical person uh, who's been uh, in a, a dispute with their landlord uh, as such uh, and you take calls on all sorts of issues. Uh, the website mm-hmm. threshold.ie has pages of information, you have uh, a live chat and indeed a helpline that people can call you on. Exactly, yeah. we're, we're there to help at any issue in the tenancy. Yeah, and okay. we'd like to remind renters they have, they have rights and we're there to help them own those rights. Very good. All right, uh, we leave it there for the moment and thank, thank you. you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. That's uh, uh, Anne-Marie O'Reilly who is the National, National Advocacy Manager with Threshold. Michael Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, The Minister for Tourism, Catherine Martin, uh, believes uh, that the 9% reduced VAT rate that uh, applies uh, to hospitality should stay in place for some time. This is being welcomed by local hoteliers. Uh, Let's speak to Tony Walker, who's uh, the General Manager of uh, the Sleeve Russell Hotel and Vice President of uh, the Irish Hotels Federation. And uh, a very good morning to you, Tony, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. Do you really need this reduced rate? Yes, thank you, Michael. <clears throat> Good morning to you and to all your listeners, and thanks for having me on the show. Yes, we feel we do need the retention of the, the 9% VAT rate. Uh, the 9% VAT rate is the right rate for hospitality in terms of uh, international visitors coming to Ireland. You know, when you compare us to other, other destinations in Europe, 9% is the right rate. Uh, if the government now reintroduce that, you know, back up to 13.5%, which is a 50% increase, that would put us the third highest VAT rate across Europe behind Denmark and the UK, respectively. You know, we're supposed 2023, we're heading into, you know, un- uncertain territories in many ways. You know, we've, uh, you know, there's a lot of economic uncertainty across the globe. You know, we're facing, you know, record levels of customer inflation. There's coupled, this is coupled with interest rates 
you know, a, a reduced disposable income. You know, we're facing escalating business costs and an ongoing energy crisis. You know, so it's it's uncharted territory really for us in the hospitality sector. Yes, we had a very good 2022, but a lot of that was based on, you know, pent up demand and events that were postponed due to COVID from 2020 and 2021. So. We're just, we just feel it's the wrong time to start uh, putting in another increase into the industry. OK, generally speaking, it would be a profitable industry, though, wouldn't it? It would be, yes, yes, it would be. But, you know, we have had significant cost increases over the last 12 months. Like we've seen here in Sleeve Russell, our energy bill has gone, got up 350 to 400% in the last 12 months. You know, everything from from purchases of food to, to sand and the golf course, across the board, we've seen significant increases in costs. 20 to 30%. Um, you know, so we just feel we can't absorb uh, another another VAT increase that we would have to pass it on. And we really don't want to do that, Michael, to be well, honest with you. D- despite the supports that are already in place? Well, the, 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 supports, the supports that are in place... Quite honestly, are are no are of they're they're damp squib. You know, you're talking about the energy support. Yeah, yeah, it's a damp squib. You know, we it's leave Russell. We don't we're we're not going to get any. We're, we don't benefit from that at all. Um, you know, the 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 scheme that was put in place, the 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 way it was structured. Um, we we don't we don't uh, we don't we're not eligible. We didn't we don't we would have to show a fifty percent reduction in our energy bill. Mm quarter 422 versus quarter 421 mm. we came out of contract uh, in october 2020 2020 so we we don't 2021 we don't see that we didn't get that we don't have that in, because we came out of contract our bills went up significantly so we we can't show a 50%. There was no 50% reduction for us between 22 versus 21, and therefore we don't apply. And that's, I'm hearing that absolutely across the sector. A lot of businesses are not going to benefit from that scheme. Okay, but your energy bills have increased astronomically. Yeah. Uh, uh, so why are, can you not demonstrate uh, that you're uh, paying 50% more? Because we came, so we we were in a contract up until mm. October twenty one. Mm. So our contract at price, on average, uh, Michael was was ten cent a kilowatt. We went to twenty four cent a kilowatt on the first of November twenty twenty one, and then between twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two, we've gone from twenty four cent a kilowatt to up to almost forty five cent a kilowatt, depending on the particular month. But it's not fifty percent. It's it's less than fifty percent increase, but overall between October twenty twenty one and today, our electricity bill has gone up between three hundred and fifty and four hundred percent. Okay, you know, if I if I, I the electricity bill for this hotel in in December was one hundred and two thousand euros. Okay, because the scheme would allow you to claim forty percent of uh, the increase, yeah. which would be up to ten thousand euro, but you don't qualify for anything no, at all. No, no, we don't, because our I, I put it in context. Michael, our electricity bill in December 2020 was 36,000 euros. That went to, in 2022 to, I think it was 95,000 euros. And it's 102,000 euros for December 2021. 20, 2021, sorry, I'm getting my years mm-hmm. mixed up here. Okay. 94,000 in 2021 and 102,000 in 2022, December. Mm-hmm. So, that's how I can't show the, 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 the increase. 
Okay, all right. Uh, maybe uh, it's the way the scheme that uh, yeah. the, the, is structured, uh, but uh, it would seem a very generous scheme to those who do qualify for it. Uh, but ha- having said that, uh, the Irish Congress of Trade Unions say that there's no logical case for continuing with uh, this 9% rate for you and other hoteliers. Right. Well, it's not just hoteliers either, Mike. It's the hospitality yep. sector across the board. You know, it's just, it's not the right time for us to, to go back, to go looking for, you know, a lot of our inter- you know, international visitors, you know, spent what, in the region of $7 billion, And out of that $7 billion, 23% is collected in taxes. You know, we don't want to put the international tourism at risk here by increasing the VAT rate at this time. Mm. When the VAT rate across the Europe, on average, runs between sort of 3% and up to, up to 10, 10, 11%. So we don't want to sort of, it's the wrong time, Michael. It's the, it, this is the right rate for the hospitality sector in Ireland. Okay, I'm sure the trade unions don't want to do anything that would impact negatively on tourism, but they no. argue that uh, the extra money just goes uh, to uh, add to the profits that hotels already enjoy. And that's why it's difficult for you to attract and retain workers and that what you should be doing is uh, engaging with uh, the unions instead of boycotting them. We're not boycotting any unions, Michael, but, you know, at the end of the day, there's 270, pre-COVID was 270,000 jobs in, 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 in tourism, you know, and we don't want to put those jobs at risk. We're back, we believe, some of the reason of 240, 250,000 jobs, and we need to protect those, those jobs. And to protect those jobs, the government needs to support us with retaining the VAT rate at 9%. Mm. Uh, do the Dublin hotels need it? Uh, because we've seen ridiculous sums asked uh, for hotel rooms in Dublin. Well, that's, I, th- I believe, would be on sort of on peak nights, uh, you know, across... Uh, on peak nights, Michael, it's not a, a general rule of thumb. Like the average room rate for Dublin, I believe, in, uh, is somewhere in the region of 150, 160 euros per night over the year. That wouldn't be excessive when you compare it to other European destinations. I don't have the exact uh, figures to hand, but, you know, it, it, it wouldn't be... And that wouldn't be... Like, it's a dynamic pricing model that would be used similar in, with airlines as well. Where, mm. where the, you know, the but at the same time, if there's a big no, match or a concert on, you see prices increase by hundreds of euros. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's... Uh, like, you know, that's, that's, that's the way an economy works, Michael. If there's, a, if there's a demand, the price will go up, and if there's not a demand, the price will fall. So it's, it's it, as I say, it's similar to sort of airline seats as well, where they, they apply a sort of a dynamic pricing model, mm. you know. But over mm. in general, there would be good value to be had. Okay, in, but can you understand why people would say you can't have it every way? And if you want support, well, then that has to be a two-way street, and you have to be fair to people. Uh, if they're going to a concert just because it's a popular concert, uh, they shouldn't yeah. have to pay exorbitant prices. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's an isolated case, Michael. I don't believe it's across the sector. I don't believe it's across all the hotels in Dublin. You know, I believe it's, it's as I say, it's, yes, they do. There, there would be, if the demand is there, the price will rise on, on certain nights. Okay, it could get worse, in fact, than it already is, uh, as you'd argue, for hotels in Dublin. There's talk uh, of a a new tax on accommodation in Dublin, a hotel room tax, uh, which could yield the government £12 a year. Yeah, that's a a county council tax, I believe. It's Dublin County Council introducing that tax. They are. They're trying to introduce that tax. Uh, You know, it's... uh, 
12, yes, and I believe it's 12 million euros. I, I, I only just heard it myself this morning on the radio, so I don't have the full details on the scheme, but certainly I think that's what it is, yes. On the other side of things, a report uh, published uh, last week uh, suggested that 24,000 jobs uh, could be lost if uh, the VAT increases to 13.5% in March. Could it be yes. actually as bad as that? It probably could across the sector, I would have thought. I mean, it was, but that's, that's what, probably some of the reason of 8 to 10% of the, of, of the workforce in tourism. Yes, that could happen. Okay. And what is the future, uh, the short-term future for tourism, for the hotel industry uh, in this country? Do you think all hotels are going to return to tourism uh, as we go into the spring? Yes, I think so. I think a lot of them are going to return to tourism. You're referring to the accommodation that's yes. currently been used. Yes, I think a lot of them are now going to return to tourism. Um, you know, there is a, the the forward bookings would would indicate that we could be back to some of these in the seventy seventy percent pre pandemic levels of international tourism. Um, so I believe uh, that the the forward bookings from from places like North America are very strong. There would be concern about the UK market, the GB market, which would be sort of the second or third highest market for us in in tourism. But I, I think that's really to do with the the economy in the UK at the moment and the fact that they're heading into a deeper recession I suppose, than, 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 than maybe thought. So, uh, no, I think it's very positive. The outlook would be very positive. But I do, th- the, the full recovery for tourism won't happen, I believe, until 2026. Okay, and you've contracts with uh, government uh, to house people, uh, if those seeking international protection, uh, up to the end of March, is it? It's the, yes, I think it's staggered, but I think a lot of them are, 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 are the contracts will end at the end of March. Yeah. Okay, and has there been any discussion with government about what happens after that? Because uh, I think you're accommodating some 14,000 people. Yeah, there's, but not, not that I'm aware of. I don't think there's any discussions taking place at the minute. Okay. Uh, at the moment, your focus is getting back to business in March, uh, uh, welcoming people from yes. o- overseas or people uh, who are holidaying at home. Uh, and you're hoping that Catherine Martin will win this argument because it, it seems as though it's going to be an argument from uh, reports. Uh, there's some opposition within our, uh, government to uh, what the minister believes uh, should be the extension of the 9% rate. Yes, well, as you know, it is under review. The government um, have, have always said that it's under review. Um, so Catherine, Catherine Martin, as you know, yes, has, is supportive of, of the extension of the VAT rate. And you know, we, will, we will continue to, to, to I suppose, lobby her other um, uh, colleagues in, in, in government to retain the rate. Okay, we'll leave there for the moment. Tony, thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. That's Tony Walker, who's uh, the general manager of uh, the Sleeve Russell Hotel. He's also the vice president of the IHF, uh, that's the Irish Hotels Federation. Michael Reed on LMFM. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. Garda Kyle Waters joins us from Enfield Garda Station for this week's report. And thank you indeed uh, for doing that. We're going to start with a report from Dundalk on Friday, where a woman was assaulted by a man who was trying to rob her at the time. Yes, good morning, Michael, and good morning to all the listeners. Guardian Dundalk are investigating the attempted robbery from person and assault causing harm of a female that occurred on McSweeney Street in Dundalk on Friday the 13th of January at approximately 9pm. The injured party was grabbed from behind and asked for money as she walked from the shop. A struggle ensued and the male suspect hit the woman on the back of the head and attempted to grab her handbag. The woman managed to push the suspect away and when a motorist pulled up on the road, the suspect fled the area. He's described as wearing a black jacket with a hood up and washed out blue jeans. 
A male was subsequently arrested and charged with the incident. Guardi are appealing for anyone who may have witnessed the incident or may have observed anything suspicious in the area on Friday the 13th of January to please contact Dundalk Garda Station on 042-938-8400. Okay, and uh, we stay in Dundalk, uh, a car stolen on Saturday, I think. Yes, that's correct. Uh, Guardi and Dundalk are investigating an unauthorised taking of a 162LH red silver Toyota bits that occurred in the Cathedral View area of the Ramparts Road of the town on Saturday the 14th at approximately 7pm. The injured party reported that two males were observed in the vehicle in the driveway of the house and they left in the vehicle which turned right on Rampart Lane in the direction of the Inner Relief Road in the town. The car was taken without the keys. Guardians are very interested in speaking with anyone who may have witnessed anything in the area or those who may have dash cam footage to please contact them at Dundalk Garda Station and the number there again is 042 Okay, from a stolen car to items stolen from cars, a couple of cars and an incident which has upset a lot of people, I think, because this happened at the staff car park of Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda sometime between Friday and Saturday. Yes, that's correct. Um, the, so the Guardian Drogheda are investigating two thefts from vehicles which were parked in staff car park for Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital Drogheda between 7.30pm on Friday and 9am on Saturday the 14th. The first vehicle was a zero, sorry, a 10D blue Kia Picanto, and the second vehicle was a, another 10D reg, red Hyundai i20. The owners of the vehicle were working nights in the hospital and discovered that the vehicles had their passenger windows smashed and property taken from them. Guardian are appealing for anyone who may have witnessed anything suspicious in the area uh, between those times or, many, or anyone who has information that could assist Guardian with their investigations to please contact them and draw the Garda station 041-987-4200. Okay, uh, we go to Duleek next uh, to report on a burglary. It was the church, though, that was broken into. Yes, that's right. Uh, Guardian and Duleek are looking for the public's assistance in relation to a break-in to St. Kieran's Church in the main street in Duleek between 5pm on Friday the 13th and 11.30am on Saturday the 15th. The rear door of the church was forced open and damage was caused to the candle shrine area. Guardian appealing for anyone who may have witnessed anything suspicious in the area. Between those times, the police contact them at Ashburn Garda Station 018010600 is the number for Ashburn. Okay, and uh, we're going to conclude in Dunshockton and another stolen car. Yeah, Guardian and Dunshockton are investigating an authorised taking of a 10D reg grey Mazda Demio that occurred in the Willows Estate in the town on Tuesday the 10th of January between 4am and 5.30am. The vehicle was recovered, crashed in Cabra in Dublin on Thursday the 12th of January and again the car was taken out the keys. Guardian interested in speaking with anyone who may have witnessed anything suspicious in the area or those who may have dash cam footage, please contact them at Ashburn Garda Station. And the number for Ashburn again is 018010600. And just, uh, if you don't mind, I'll mm-hmm. just put in this small bit at the end that there has been a huge increase in the amount of Japanese imported cars stolen in the area over the last few weeks. And Guardian are advising the public to check if their vehicles have an alarm, more importantly, in the mobilizer installed on their vehicle and take necessary actions if required. It appears that these vehicles are easily started without an immobilizer that are installed, and your vehicle could be at risk otherwise. Okay. So something to bear in mind. Uh, uh, and that they're targeting Japanese imported cars. That seems to be the, the norm at the moment, yes. Okay. Very easily stolen.
All right. Word of caution there for people. Something to think about. And thank you indeed for that. And thank you for joining us. Garda Kyle Waters of Enfield Garda Station will return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. Now, before we leave you today, some comments. Jay in Dundalk, thank you for your text. He says, Michael, we had tenants in our property, property tenants who refused to pay the rent. They refused to pay rent for two years. I was fully registered with uh, RTB, tax compliant, even issuing the correct documents for them to vacate. They just wouldn't leave. The PRTB were just okay with help, but couldn't offer a final solution. To cut a long story short, it cost us two years in rent unpaid and 5,000 then to repair the house when they finally did leave. Yeah, I'm not terribly surprised to hear that, Jay and Dundalk. Uh, I think it's um, a dreadful situation, one that exists. Thankfully, it's rare enough, uh, but it's one that exists, and it can destroy people uh, to have to um, continue for two years like that uh, without people paying their rent. Uh, I think... uh, the rights are probably not balanced in the way that they should be when you find yourself in a, a totally unjust situation like that. Brian is in Rathos and he said, Tommy Riley really is correct uh, about the way some people are in and out of court, of, of court as quick as they went in. Can the TDs in the county explain why the new prison isn't being built to stop the revolving door prison system that is causing the problems? Thanks, uh, Brian in Rathoth. Betty in touch with us about that as well. Uh, this latest attack in Navin saying it's a pity these thugs were born. We'd be far better off without them. Uh, an army of Egypts. Thanks uh, indeed, uh, Betty, for that. Uh, another text uh, from a landlord in Drogheda who says, I've seven properties rented in Drogheda. Not one of my seven tenants pay over a thousand a month. Uh, where I work, the landlords or the lads call me land bastard as a joke, but we're not all slum landlords, says uh, Paul in Tully Allen. Thank you uh, for that, Paul in Tully Allen. Uh, another uh, text or WhatsApp message from somebody who says electricity is a racket. Uh, What are they doing to control it? Uh, When it comes uh, to the cost of hotels, here's an interesting one for you. You may not be surprised. Uh, Someone says, because of the price of hotels in Dublin, you know, they're so expensive, a a group from the west of Ireland are travelling to Paris to see Bruce Springsteen. It's cheaper. Uh, And I take it that means it's cheaper to pay for your flight, pay for your hotel uh, and go to the concert than to do all of that here without the flight. Thank you indeed. Uh, It's a a very interesting uh, part uh, of uh, travel and no doubt uh, one of uh, the reasons why people do go uh, abroad rather than holidaying at home. Uh, An email comes uh, to us uh, today uh, as well from Paul who says, I'm living in Drogheda for the past nine years. Recently, over the last two years, uh, I moved house into a, a new estate, uh, Old Bridge Manor, which is just down the road from the radio station. There's been a rising incident of recent car thefts from uh, the state and the surrounding area. Yesterday, the 16th of January, early morning, my wife's car was stolen from 
our driveway during the night and then it was found crashed in Dundalk where somebody was arrested. It's the fourth incident in a few months within uh, this estate and they continue to rise. The estate house owners are terrified of the thought of individuals having no regard for private property trespassing uh, and so on no regard for the law my wife and kids were alone while all of this happened during the night I'm working as a doctor in Dublin and work endlessly Um, the thought of that while I'm working to save patients during the night my wife and kids are alone in the house and they're terrified. They don't feel safe despite multiple security cameras and an alarm and so on. As a concerned resident of this neighbourhood and what I see happening in Drogheda, I ask LMFM to bring this to the attention of the listeners, at least if not from an investigative purpose, but for the awareness of other residents in Drogheda. Thank you, Paul. Uh, for sharing that dreadful story. Awful to have your car stolen and destroyed like that. Really a terrible thing. Uh, be warned, uh, and you heard that word of warning from the Gardaí there a moment ago as well, tying in with that. That's uh, where our time runs out for today. Maggie McGuire Research. Chris Murray was in the control term. I'm Michael. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning, bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.